Welcome to the new era by Web3 Connect. We're helping you break barriers and build brands in Web3, the next generation of internet. Hi, everyone. Today we have Light with us, who is a marketer and social media manager, both in the traditional Web 2 and Web 3 worlds. Light has a passion for teaching people how to navigate the space through Twitter threads, a dedicated newsletter, and a YouTube channel where he shares his thoughts on the market, investigates and exposes scammers, and talks about fundamental concepts critical to being a smart investor that not only makes informed investment decisions, but also continues to funnel your own value back into the ecosystem. Keep listening to hear Light talk about how to survive a bear market, the problem with supporting hyped projects with anonymous teams, zero utility, and no legitimate roadmap, how you can become a self-taught expert on Web3 with determination and an interest in reading, and how taking time off to go outside and spend time with the people you love is severely underrated in the space. With all of that said, let's get into the interview. Alrighty, and we are live. And so today we have Light with us. And I actually, I said I met you through Diamond Dow on Friday, but I definitely met you before that because you joined our server as a friend of June Boss, who we just had on the podcast this past week. So super excited to have you here, Light. Um, I will pass it over to you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, yeah, I'm actually so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm Light. I have kind of like a strange background. I don't even really know where to start. But basically, you know, I had a sketchy roommate that told me about Bitcoin in like 2019. I bought a little market like was kind of weird. So I I don't know. I, I kind of like decided to leave it alone for a bit. And I started seeing like all types of like crazy stuff with things called like meme coins and shit coins. And so I started actually like, I mean, basically gambling off, off those things. And um, it all kind of led me to something called Dogecoin, which I started buying a lot, like a lot of. And then Elon Musk started tweeting about it a lot as well. And so long story short, I had never made money like that before in my life at all. It was like super crazy. So I sold all of it and I was just like, okay, I'm done. Like this stuff is way too sketchy. Like I'm just 100% out of it. And yeah, so whenever I was like not trading, I was like pretty much sidelined. Pretty much I got really interested in like finance and stuff. Started reading all these books, like, uh, you know, the, the classic like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I just became like so fascinated with um, just everything with stocks, crypto and everything like that. So I jumped back into something called it was like on a complete whim. I barely had like money to invest anyway. But yeah, I just I threw like 100 bucks in. And I woke up the next day and it was like 200 and I got that weird, like tingly feeling again. And I was like, yeah, let me just jump back into crypto. So that's when I came to Solana. I don't know why I chose Solana. I just thought it was pretty interesting. And I started looking for micro caps again. And I, I found something called Samo, which led me to making a decent amount of money, getting into NFTs, getting into uh, everything DAO, where Joombis is actually. Um, and yeah, my life pretty much changed that point. I, I got to network with so many really cool people. Long story short, I got involved with a project that was a, a really, really, really slow rug called Solana Ponzi business. But I that's where I started, you know, doing community management. I did their social media. I was like mod there. 
So like, even though it was a rug and it was like terrible, I actually got like a lot of experience there. And yeah, immediately after that, like my passion just ramped up for like teaching people how to avoid rugs and, you know, just the dangers of gambling and losing money and stuff like that, which is, you know, that's pretty much when I started writing threads and articles. And yeah, I I created Solana Pain Inc. And I, I now work for Joystick and I still write threads and stuff. So that's pretty much it. Very, very cool. So are you currently working full time in Web3? I think before this, you mentioned you also have like a if quote unquote in real life job. Like what are you doing there? Yeah. So in the, in the Web2 world, I thankfully work from home. I would not ever be able to do any of this if I, I wasn't. But yeah, essentially there, I just, I work for a social media company. Yeah, I do like very basic content review for them. So it's really laid back. It's super chill. But in the Web3 space, you know, I really like to do social media marketing because that's really my passion. And that's where, you know, I have some experience in Web2 as well. And yeah, I've worked for, you know, Fly Guys. I've worked, like I mentioned earlier, Joystick, a bunch of various miscellaneous projects. And yeah, I pretty much work full time in both positions, technically. (laughs) Two full time jobs. Oof, that must be tough to keep up with. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) And I'm actually very curious. One of the things you just mentioned was one of your first kind of positions here in Web3 was doing like marketing, community management, social media for a project that ended up being a slow rug, unfortunately. And you just can't predict that. I want to get your take on how you go about sort of marketing yourself and applying for new jobs after something like that happens. And all of your experience is under a rugged project. Because I actually got this question the other day from a student that is taking a course that I teach. And he was like, I worked for a rug. I have experience, but do I put that on my resume? Like, I'm not really sure how to handle it. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely terrible. And I, I really feel for anybody that, you know, is in that position. It was kind of tough, too, because like I had put so much time and energy into like, you know, growing these accounts, like thousands and thousands of followers. And then like just out of nowhere, they just decide to rug. So essentially, I had to completely take it off my resume and fill up my resume with things that, you know, obviously weren't rugs, but things that would kind of just give me a better chance at, you know, landing jobs, because regardless of how hard you worked on a project, who wants to hear you worked for a rug like nobody? So I guess my biggest advice would be to just keep on chugging. Like if you kind of stumbled along the way or you ran into some bad people, it's it's actually completely fine. It kind of seasons you up a little bit. If you have the passion, you're able to motivate yourself to secure more positions and really prove yourself. So yeah, very good advice. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people listening just because you know, there's inherent risk in operating in the space and encountering bad actors. And it's going to happen. You just kind of have to brush it off and, and move forward. I did see on your Twitter page that you're the owner or founder of Solana Pain Inc. I did see it was like a private discord. Couldn't find much information online about it. Can you tell us anything about what you're building or is it still kind of secret at the moment? Yeah. So basically what happened with the Solana Ponzi business, which was, you know, the rug we talked about, there's just like hundreds and hundreds of people in that, you know, discord that essentially, I don't know how to really explain it, but they lost a lot of money, like a lot, just due to the nature of, I guess, the type of investing that was being done in that discord. So there's people there that had lost even over like 300 soul when soul was like 200 bucks. 
So I felt terrible, obviously, for everybody, even though I had zero hand in it. I was in this place of like leadership and I was just like, I guess what I'm going to do in the situation is create a discord, create like an educational aspect to it to prevent, of course, like having this stuff happen again and also start to build for the next generation of Solana. Because I've always been very passionate about like keeping people away from, you know, dangerous and risky behaviors in the first place. And I think, you know, especially with a lot of the new people that come into the space, they end up sometimes running into the wrong people, getting rugged, and they can barely even plant their roots. So I wanted to have this server built fully for those type of people. And we do intend to open it up for the public really soon. I don't know what we intend to do in terms of like an NFT, that might never be a thing. But in terms of just educating the general public, that's something I'm super passionate about and something I wanted to do with Solana Paint Inc. So the way I see it is as the space matures, people need to ground themselves in either projects or values or some kind of idea that's going to kind of keep them grounded and keep them investing in generally the right areas. Uh, I mean, ideally areas and projects that aren't rugs. So before the podcast started, you mentioned a little bit about your love for writing as well. I was curious if you could touch on that a little bit more. Like, what does it do for you? What have you noticed in terms of, have you seen other people getting rugged less because they've learned from the lessons that you write? Do you notice that it helps organize your thinking and maybe it's easier for you to ask harder questions for these projects that are coming up? What have you noticed as you've continued to write more and more for the space? You know, I do love writing. I really do. I don't know why. Like ever since I've been a kid, I've just been interested in movies and books and just everything, you know, in between. And so writing for me was always kind of just like an escape in some sorts. But um, yeah, when it came to writing on Solana, like at first I didn't even realize I was really doing it. I didn't know exactly what the term was for writing threads and stuff, but I would just pretty much rant to myself. And I guess those rants, you know, they, they kind of turned into like me trying to help people. And, you know, it was really kind of cool when I started getting so many DMs after like writing a bear market thread or writing a thread on how to avoid certain rugs and stuff like that. It was nice getting so many messages from people that were saying like, you really actually changed my perspective on things. I didn't know this or I didn't know that. And I think it's kind of just the best of both worlds because it's something that I genuinely do enjoy doing, but it's also like I'm actually getting to help people. And that to me, I don't know, it's just super valuable. I really enjoy it. That's awesome, man. There's genuinely nothing like the feeling of a DM from a guy that was like, yeah, thank you for altering my perspective and helping me manage my risk profile better. And now they're able to survive a bear market where maybe they would have quit otherwise. And with all the upside that I think is still left in this space, I think you're doing a really, really good thing for a lot of people. So that's genuinely awesome to hear. So for Joystick in particular, from what I understand, it's like a matchmaking app for gamers to find like friends and teammates. But for listeners that might not be familiar with it, can you talk a little bit about what that project is and maybe in particular your specific roles and the responsibilities from that marketing perspective that you have? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Joystick at its heart essentially is trying to bridge the gap between Web 2 and Web 3 gaming. And I thought that was super interesting. And of course, when I first heard about Joystick, it was, you know, during the portals and Yaku craze. But uh, Joystick specifically stood out to me because they were trying to come at it from an angle that was 
going beyond NFTs, you know, they're also a fashion brand on top of all of that. You know, I picked Rue's brain multiple times. I think he's like such a fascinating person. And Rue's actually the creator of Joystick. And when I hear him talk, I'm just like, man, I feel like this is the kind of stuff that people, whenever they're first coming into the space from Web2, like that's the type of stuff that really does resonate with them. And even if they're not from the space, like at all, that's something that people can get on board with. That's pretty much what Joystick is. And what I do for them is I do their social media marketing and I also do their marketing in general. So like had to, you know, of course, like draft marketing plans for them, but, you know, also put out some informative tweets about the space and gaming or sometimes just, you know, posts like a good old post. And it's been really interesting and fun to work with Rue because he has such an interesting perspective on the space. And I've always really respect to people that have just kind of like contrarian opinions in a space where everything sometimes feels like, you know, kind of the same. So I'm curious now that you mentioned that, are there any notable contrarian opinions that would be worth sharing here? Um, About Rue. Okay. One of his biggest things is he really does believe that, uh, and I think I said this before, but he does really truly believe that Web 2 and Web 3 can merge. Like they can be linked. Like you can bring people from Web 2 to Web 3. And there's actually a lot of people, notable people in the space that don't agree with that. Like they, they just think if you're Web3 native, you're just going to stay that way. And like people from Web2, they just don't like Web3. And I think it's interesting what he's doing, especially when it comes to gaming. Man, I could rant about this for so long. There's such a crazy like disconnect between Web2 and Web3 gaming, especially when I think about it. I would never pay thousands of dollars to play, you know, a game, right? Like I just wouldn't. Because things like VR chat exist or even Roblox. And I think Rue has this perspective to where it's like he believes the same thing. That's why his airdrops and his like mints are even free. Because I think he's trying to prove to people that you don't have to actually spend so much money just to be involved in a project. You can actually lower that barrier of entry. So yeah, I think that's where we kind of agree on a lot of things just in terms of the future of the space and the future of gaming on Web3. I love that take, honestly. I completely agree. The way gaming is done right now isn't sustainable. I don't know if you saw that Twitter thread, but I think it was azf.eth or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, Maybe. I might have seen it. it. It was just generally talking about the current business structure for these Web3 games basically sucks. And the only way that people are going to play a game is if they actually enjoy the game. And you don't really know that when you mint out a Bobos of War, for example, and you're not going to see a game for the next year or two. And we have no idea if it's even going to be fun, but here they are with all that funding. Like games take time to develop. Separate point from that. I mean, that was just, I was just curious if you knew about that thread, but have you heard of Radio Shack or Ratio Shack as I've seen them recently on Twitter and uh, Magic Eden? I like It looks like they just hired some DGen to do all of their <laughs> posting for them. And surprisingly, it's worked phenomenally well. So when you mentioned <laughs> posting for Joystick, I was wondering if you had merged those concepts for yourself or what are the consequences basically if you're <laughs> posting versus adding value on a Twitter thread? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question. Like I didn't want to post and I haven't posted too much with joystick because like, you know, there's pros and cons, right? It's very much like a, it's like a double-edged sword. Like with the Radio Shack, 
yeah, the tweets are hilarious. I know they're doing crazy numbers in terms of engagement. They're everywhere on my timeline. Whoever is running that account, it might be Shill and Villain, who knows? <laughs> they just really understand what they're doing. And it's funny, right? But like the flip side of that is you're kind of risking your reputation in some aspects, like especially like Radio Shack. It used to be a very like notable, respected company. So I personally, you know, when it comes to, to posting, it really does depend on the project itself as well. I know that the fellowship, for example, once in a while, I'll see just like a wild tweet that makes zero sense, but it's hilarious. And I like seeing stuff like that because it's like kind of like reminding me, okay, like there's a person really behind this screen and they're funny. And I like to utilize that sometimes, even like on my own personal Twitter, I, I like to do it once in a while. But um, I guess like being able to do both effectively can be tough for certain projects or certain profiles. But being able to do both seamlessly is a great, great thing. Like that's just like an invaluable asset to any account. Completely agreed. It's such a like a fine balance though, right? You overdo the posting and no one takes you seriously. You overdo the serious threads and I mean you won't get as much engagement, sadly, is the way it is or the way it seems right now. And as these projects kind of try to strike that balance for themselves, I'm wondering if you have any tips for these projects trying to market themselves holistically in the space, like any particular tactics that you find to be pretty successful or things that just all projects should be aiming to do pretty consistently. Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of you said it yourself, like, I guess it really does depend on the project at the end of the day. But a lot of projects that take themselves way too seriously, especially if the content isn't always the most engaging, they tend to suffer in a lot of aspects, especially just in terms of pure engagement. I think one of my biggest tips is to really just kind of like use the algorithm, right? Like there are certain things that we all know, like we've all seen some of like the same memes, like word for word that the algorithm just likes for some reason. And nobody knows exactly why, but these things tend to pick up a lot of traction. You know, there's essentially like keywords you can use that like the algorithm will like, it'll literally, it will carry you, right? Like it will actually carry you and it'll put you in the eyes of so many more people that you probably wouldn't have been in if you like were just tweeting. So kind of having a little bit of flavor, personality, and like looking at past things that have worked, proven, uh, that's one of your best things to do when marketing. It's super important to like not overcomplicate things or try to reinvent the wheel. Like if it's not broken, you don't have to fix it. You can really just kind of like piggyback off other people. Absolutely. And on the same topic of marketing, projects tend to use Twitter as their kind of sole marketing tool, just because of that, you know, pre-existing crypto community. It's strong over there. People like it over there and they often forget about the benefits of using other social platforms. I did see that you actually have a YouTube channel where you create like Web3 and NFT educational content. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of when you started this, what content you've posted so far and what content might be upcoming? Yeah, no. Um, so I started the YouTube like about a month ago. I have like three videos so far. It kind of was at a weird time when I started it because like I was going on a lot of trips and stuff, but I've loved it so far. I'm trying to really like 
make the most of it and like really learn more about YouTube's algorithm because it's completely different. Like it's so different from like Instagram or Twitter. And like, to me, it's pretty fascinating because I've, I've never been like in a situation where I didn't exactly know what to do. So um, I think for the future, I plan to just continue to kind of pump out videos that really answer people's questions, like the lingering questions that I always hear, like a question that people actually ask me all the time, which is interesting that I'm getting to really connect with you guys now is uh, how do I make money in Web3? Answering some of those questions for people, I think it's super, it's just valuable because in a medium form like YouTube, some people don't like to read, right? Like there are some people that like will never actually read my threads or read anybody's threads or articles because it's not like they don't have the attention span for it. It just bores them. So YouTube is like a whole new like playing field where you can actually educate people, but also entertain them. So that's why I was pretty interested by it. Yeah. And speaking of algorithms as like a social media man and marketer yourself, I'm sure you're familiar with the TikTok algorithm and how it's honestly probably one of the best algorithms for new users and highest likelihood of going viral, at least from my experience and what I've seen. Have you considered making TikToks? Is that something you would ever explore? You know, I think TikTok is the only thing for some reason like it's like might be the only platform I never use, but I really understand the power of it. At first, I thought it was just this like, you know, dumb site, like quick story. Two, three years ago, I was uh, living with one of my old friends. He was a roommate and he was just always so interested in like, you know, things like creating skits and all that. And so I was just like, bro, why don't you just make a TikTok? And so he kind of just started like, randomly would sporadically do them and then one day like one of them went like uber viral like out of nowhere i can't remember how many likes or like reposts or what they're called but like it was like in the hundreds of thousands and i was just like sitting there like how is that even possible because like everything i've learned up until this point points to the fact that that's not possible so i don't know i think tiktok it's like twitter and youtube on steroids and it kind of like is daunting in a way, like it's it's kind of intimidating to me. And I don't know what kind of content I would make on there, but I know it's super powerful. And anybody on that platform that knows what they're doing, they have a serious edge. Yeah, 100% agree. It's actually funny. I kind of started my journey in the NFT space making TikToks because I found that I was interested in the space and wanted to learn, but it was very overwhelming information overload. I didn't know where to start. And so I was kind of teaching myself things and then creating short form video content on TikTok to teach other people so that they didn't have to spend hours of their time and energy learning it themselves. And one of my TikToks, it was, I think on the big daddy ape club rug that happened back in like January that went pretty viral it was like one of my only super viral videos and that's when I learned the power of TikTok it's absolutely incredible their algorithm and the way that it pushes new users content out depending on what people are scrolling through on their for you page and not so much the the users that they're following um so if you're ever interested in getting into it I have a lot of tips and tricks that I've learned since starting I'm definitely happy to help you out yeah no I'm gonna have to pick your brain because like I said I, it's so intimidating to me for some reason but I feel like it's just because I haven't had somebody like sit me down and like guide me through it 
so yeah i would love to like that sounds really cool and also i had no idea that you started on tiktok that's interesting because everyone has a different origin story and like it's just interesting to hear oh i came from this area or this like that's that's really cool yeah, I love hearing people's origin stories. It's so interesting. And I got discovered by General Soul on TikTok. And that's actually how I really deep dived into the space and obviously eventually conceptualized the idea of Web3 Connect. But earlier you were talking about your writing. And I did see on your Twitter that you have something called like the Lights Corner newsletter that people can subscribe to. Can you talk a little bit more about like what type of content you typically cover in that newsletter and what was kind of your motive for starting it, I guess, beyond your passion and interest in writing? Yeah, absolutely. So I used to write on, well, I started originally just writing threads and then, you know, I kind of moved to Medium because I learned like that's where a lot of people post their content. And on Medium, it was actually really cool because Medium has this thing to where, like, I'm not sure how, but, like, your reach is pretty high. So, like, people, you know, from other projects or, like, you know, a lot of crypto projects, like, approached me from my Medium articles and they were like, hey, can we throw this on our page? I found, like, you get a lot more, like, viewership like that. And I thought that was pretty interesting. But um, I ended up switching to uh, Review, which is like the Lights Corner thing, just because one, I thought it was a lot more personal. And I just liked the way that it was like kind of like a widget on your Twitter, like it's just built in there and super easy to click. And I've been able to, with my threads that sometimes go viral or semi-viral, get a lot of members is what they call them. And, you know, whenever... I send out an article on review, it goes straight to their email. So it's like email marketing. It's pretty interesting. And then they also have a thing for uh, subscribers. So like if somebody wants to support you, they can actually like pay monthly just to see exclusive content, which I post there weekly. So yeah, I, I technically have like two sides of that like blog, basically. It's like the the side for everybody where they can see all the content which I, you know, usually upload like once a week. And then the other side, which is exclusive that only like the people that subscribe can see. So I also see that through some of your writing, you've exposed a couple accounts on Twitter for being scammers or being associated with prior rugs. Can you walk us through kind of your process of how you do your own research to figure these things out and any tips in particular that you have that can kind of help individual actors identify people that are basically trying to scam I know really early on it's hard, especially because it's super hard to get a read on their intention. But if there's, I mean, just any tips that you've learned, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I think my first actual thread back when I had maybe like two, three hundred followers was trying to stop a rug before it happened. It was this guy, his name is Nobu, and he had this project called Nobu Ninjas that my friends were in. And uh, long story short, it was like the slowest rug ever. And like he stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from people. And so I was using Twitter to try to alert people and like get them to stop buying into it. And yeah, it never really took off. So I tried to use my Twitter to build up my following so that like a situation like that could never happen again. And so yeah, with these more recent rugs that are like pretty obvious and also just super obnoxious, like the one that I covered recently is just this guy that's like, he's not even trying to cover his tracks. He's just being weird, essentially. I really tried to cover those kind of accounts to stop people from getting rugs before it even happens. In terms of like investigating them, I'll use all types of tools. Like SoulScan is a really good one to see like 
where money is going, where money came from, what they're doing exactly, if they're linked to any other rugs and stuff of that nature. Of course, I'll use Wayback Machine to see if they've deleted tweets, deleted their Twitter. You can see a lot of things that people don't think you can see. And then sometimes just like a good old Google search or like reverse searching images will pull like all types of crazy stuff up. And yeah, I guess once you go down that rabbit hole, you kind of just compile all the information for people, do it in a way where it's like not too overwhelming, they can understand easily, and then you just send it out. That's fascinating. The first thing that comes to mind is, have you written a Twitter thread about this? <laughs> about um, all the tools that you use and the different techniques? I mean, it's like, it sounds obvious when you say it now, but I'm sure to a lot of people, it's really not. Even to myself, I hadn't considered using Wayback Machine as obvious as it might sound. Yeah, I've never, <laughs> I don't think I've ever written like a thread on my method of doing it now, but I think also it's because I don't do it so often. I feel like if I was in a position to where I was doing it way more often, right? If I just became like what Zach XPT of Solana, then yeah, I would probably end up trying to just tell people how exactly I do it. That way they could kind of protect themselves. Because in a way, like, you know, it kind of reminds me sometimes of like Catfish, the TV show. It's like, you know, this stuff is actually pretty simple. Like anyone can, you know, track a rugger down. They just need to know exactly how to do it. So I wouldn't be opposed. That is so funny that you mentioned Catfish because I have rewatched that show from season one. I'm now on probably their latest season for the past few months. And I, I absolutely love that show. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm addicted to that show. I've watched it way too many times to count, like one through however many seasons, like multiple times. You should do like a Web3 Catfish series on your YouTube channel or something. That would be honestly, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds lit. I like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I know one of the other threads that I think I saw on your Twitter recently was a bear market survival guide. And you covered a lot of content in that thread, but could you provide like a high level overview or touch on some of the key points for our listeners? So like what a bear market is, how you get through it. Um, and if you need to pull up that thread to refresh your memory, feel free to take a second to do that as well. I know you covered a lot in there. <laughs> yeah, actually I could, yeah, I could pull it up real quick. So basically all a bear market really is it's like a period of time where like prices just decline, right? Not to like overcomplicate things. That's essentially what it is. So like instead of green, it's red. To me, I think some of the most important things that actually kind of scared me because like, I don't know, I guess I mentioned before I came from like a microcap background. So I was used to like volatility and I was used to this concept of taking profit and like getting out kind of thing. So it kind of scared me when I realized that you know, so many of my friends, like even really close friends that were making a lot of money weren't in stables at all. And I think that's super important to have some kind of like stability in your investing plan. So uh, having some kind of setup, maybe it's like 50% USDC, 25% Bitcoin, 25% either soul. And then also this concept of like dollar cost averaging especially in a bear market where it really matters. Basically, you take money over a set period of time and like it's a set amount. So it's never, you know, sporadic or just random. Let's say like the first of every single month, you decide to throw $1,000 into to Bitcoin or whatever it might be. I think that's way better than just like waking up one day and being like, oh, I feel like, you know, just throwing money into Solana right now because you might end up losing a lot of money that way. 
especially since people aren't really used to the volatility of a bear market. And I think when it comes to Solana, a lot of the investors are really new. The NFT investors specifically are really new to the market. So they're not used to this like super crazy volatility. I still remember Solana crashing from a hundred bucks to like 40. That was like terrifying for a lot of people. But I'd been in stables for so long that like I didn't even feel it. But like all my friends were like bleeding. I felt terrible. I was just like, I, I didn't even realize that so many people were still holding like, you know, $100,000 JPEGs. I had no idea. And I think something that's really important during a bear market is to be careful what you invest in, in terms of certain NFTs. And like, also to be conscious of the fact that your NFTs will lose value extremely fast. So a great example of that was when OK Bears first came out. I think like it was April or early May or something like that. There was a time it was like $20,000, right? Like that was the floor price. But when Solana crashed, it was maybe a week later, it was like, worth 7.1k that's just like an example of i guess the volatility you'll experience with jpegs and i think that's why people need to be really careful and just kind of keep it in the back of their mind and i guess last thing is uh just having some kind of steady capital i love investing and i think it's great but like if i didn't have i don't know some kind of like stability or, or just even generating some kind of income i would probably not be investing in crypto not to say anyone that is doing that is wrong, but of course, I think that would just be a little too risky. So I think having some kind of stable income is a great way to kind of aid yourself through a bear market. I completely agree. It's it's funny, like in a bull market, especially with the amount of greed that's present in the entire ecosystem, you'll see these projects minting out that have no business minting out whatsoever. And it reminds me of this retweet that you had on your profile recently. And it said, in real life, you start a business, you work your ass off for years before you even see anything close to a million in profits, unless you build like some crazy software product. But in NFTs, we're giving young, inexperienced founders around or over a mil plus and expecting them to work hard for years after we've given them all the money up front. And that's one of the big reasons that these projects fail is because they don't have incentive to continue to deliver when they've already made a big bag up front. So can you talk a little bit about how people in this space can be kind of smarter investors and can do their part in raising the overall standard that we hold for these project founders to kind of prove their legitimacy and their credibility before we as a community decide to throw millions of dollars at a, at a crap project? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question. Euphoria is super scary. Like I think bull markets are way scarier than bear markets by far because everybody around you is just so like it's like delusion right it's just so much money being thrown around and like people are making all of this and everyone thinks they're a genius and then there's just so much noise as well so a couple months ago i remember the balloonsville scandal that happened with magic eden and i was pretty passionate about that because i just didn't understand why it was okay for us to essentially give somebody that we didn't even really know their identity so much money. It still blows my mind that that was even able to happen. I think moving forward from that, you know, Magic Eden has gotten so much better about being a doc service. Like they have multiple areas to where they make sure like someone's actually legit. And I think that's a good start. But like going even past that, I think it's really important to kind of start demanding a little bit more transparency from projects. 
asking them the hard questions that sometimes they might not even have the answers to, asking for legit roadmaps. I really specifically remember the metaverse bubble. You know, we had, of course, Yaku and Portals, which I think are great legitimate projects, but like the amount of derivatives we got out of them. I won't call them by name, but like we had so many different copycats and these were like projects that were essentially just kids in their bedroom. They're going on Unity and like taking these packs that already exist and then they're like ripping them to make it look like their own. And then they're presenting it to you like it's theirs when it's not really. And then they don't have like a proper roadmap or an outlook. They're kind of just like, hey, give me all of your money. And I've seen that happen a lot with even projects recently. The brand meta was pretty like devastating for a lot of people and a lot of investors that like went pretty heavy because they're just trying to capitalize off the profit of OK Bears. They're just like, hey, we don't have a roadmap. This is a cool picture by it. I feel like people need to kind of think twice before they throw their money at projects like that, because a lot of times they're really not there to push the ecosystem forward. They're really just there to convert to USDC and dip. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you start asking those hard questions, it really sheds light on who has the credentials, who's operating as a legitimate business here for the long run, you know, versus those young and experienced founders primarily in the space just to make some some quick money. And what really gets me here, what really frustrates me that I've been seeing as a trend in the space is that people buy into those projects, those quick flip, quick money projects, time and time again, those projects that don't have a roadmap, haven't even talked about their utility, you know, have closed discords, you don't know anything about them, but you're going to throw money at them. And those projects are getting a bunch of hype and notability versus some projects that are actually building and wanting to create a better future in the space. And it's discouraging, I think, for a lot of founders or people interested in getting into this to legitimately create an enterprise and create a business. Like when you see that happening time and time again, and just the the sort of immaturity of the current market, it makes me wonder how much longer it's going to take for us to get to a state where investors are being smarter and making decisions that are more grounded in foundational business values and holding founders more accountable for this type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of my favorite projects actually is a famous Fox Fed. That's like probably one of the most selfless projects on Solana, if not the most. And the art is killer. You know, Foxy Dev is like a complete wizard, probably one of the best devs in the space. They do everything right. And like seeing so many of these like, you know, brand meta projects kind of just flip them overnight in terms of volume and like just community presence kind of shifting away from those more established projects. It was pretty sad. You know, it, it kind of begs the question is like fake hype and botted accounts. Like, does is, is that really what we value over actual like, you know, creators and people that uphold the ecosystem? Yeah, I don't know. I do hope one day that people kind of snap out of it. And I think slowly we are. And I hope, hope to God that like this kind of stuff just, just ends. But I think we have a long way to go. I think we have a long way to go. And I, I know for sure that I still have faith in all these blue chip projects, like, you know, of course, Famous Fox, Degenape, like stuff like that. I just feel like they're kind of having a, a really rough period 
And I think it's healthy, though, for them to have that rough period because it forces them to raise the standard, right? And I'm thinking back to when I first joined the ecosystem where these, like, staking projects were pumping and then branding projects were pumping and kind of builder meta was evolving and kind of quiet and on the sidelines. I think my biggest gripe with this builder's meta is that it's all very circular in the sense that it all serves the flipper and it serves the investor that's looking to make a quick buck. So we call the builder's meta for a while where let's invest in this project that's doing a doxing service. Let's invest in this project that's doing whitelist management or like a sales bot post mint. And who's that really helping besides the people that are already in the ecosystem? And I hate to say it, there are very, very few projects that are doing things that I truly like that are actually going to grow the ecosystem. So when you said that we have a long way to go, I think it's going to be a lot longer until the market, the Solana investor, the average retail Solana investor decides, I don't want just any building project. I want a project that's trying to onboard people from web two. And I'm not seeing a lot of that yet. And it actually still bugs the hell out of me. And I'm hoping that at the end of this bear market consolidation healing period, we start to see more of that. But my biggest fear is that we don't. And it's kind of a scary thought. I don't know if you guys know, I was like super into step in because they were able to onboard people from Web2. Yes. Yeah, they were able to. And I thought that was interesting. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need something that goes deeper than that, right? We need more people like the Foxes that are trying to kind of build the ecosystem. And I definitely see where uh, some people are coming from. It is super disheartening in just kind of like an overview type of perspective. How much longer could it possibly be? And shouldn't we already be uplifting the people that want to actually build the ecosystem? And I think we are. Like, I feel like two weeks ago, starting two, three weeks ago, everyone was calling for a builder's meta, right? And then we start to see all the floor prices for the builder's meta and the intention cycle was rotating through to them, which is awesome. But truthfully, it's not the kind of growth that I'm personally looking for. I'm looking for stuff that either improves the ecosystem or the Solana infrastructure as a whole. So Shattery Supercoder, Yaw, Famous Foxes, of course. But another thing that comes to mind, and I've I mentioned this, I think it was to June Boss. It was Mountain Friends. Uh, are you familiar with what they do? No, I was. I, I've never heard of them. So they had a really, really cool mint where... Basically, you minted from your phone with a QR code. So if you had Phantom Mobile, there's this little scan button that you can press on the app and you scan a barcode and it takes 0.1 soul or whatever the transaction fee was from your wallet and you get the NFT in return. And I was like, that's really cool because the whole premise of their product was that's what they're trying to do. They're building some kind of API or some kind of tech that allows people to mint from mobile. And in my mind, I'm like, wait. I can see this being used in like a Starbucks or like a local coffee shop where every time I go, I get to scan a thing and it'll give me a token. And after I accumulate maybe so many tokens, maybe it's rate limited and I have to associate it with the purchase or something. I'm sure there's tech that can be built around that. But now all of a sudden you have a tangible, legit way to deliver tokens to people pretty much for free. And now you can kind of 
improve the ability for a coffee shop, for example, to deliver value to the people that hold that particular token that they were able to mint from their phone. I mean, it's a super crude example. I didn't think it all the way through, but more so the point being like, I can see a web two utility for that where anyone can get on board. Oh, I click a button and I press mint. Maybe it takes 0.1 soul and I have to have Solana loaded on my wallet. And that's a whole nother battle, but that's the type of investment I'm looking for. And I suppose I'm curious if there's any projects that you're bullish on that are really looking to try to grow the pie and onboard way more people. Yeah, no, that's actually, I'm going to have to look into that. That sounds sick. That sounds insane. Probably my favorite NFT on Solana that I don't own yet, but I will, uh, is Shadowy Supercoder for sure. I'm not a fan of holding uh, so much, you know, liquidity in a JPEG, but they not only have stood the test of time and, you know, continued and continue to build for the ecosystem to push it forward. At this point, they're just like a, a face of Solana. Like I think a bet on a shadowy coder is like a bet on Solana. You know what I mean? Like they're almost like linked in a weird way. Um, so that would definitely be like my number one favorite project on Solana that does utility. And you mentioned Yaw before. I, I really, I do like Yaw a lot. I lost a lot of money on Yaw, but I love them to death. I really do. And that's the other thing. How many people are getting in because they think number goes up versus they want exposure to a project? So long as the greed factor is overcoming the I want exposure to someone I believe is going to truly do good for the ecosystem, it's going to install the, the growth process even longer. But yeah, it's just funny that you said that thing about y'all. I remember when they first launched, I was like, <laughs> I can pull out of my savings and this is going to go to the moon and uh, this is my ticket. But <laughs> I don't know. It just it was funny to think about that. Yeah, I love that project. I had uh I had a lot. I had a lot of those things and yeah. I mean, I I really do like really respect the builders on that project though. Like all the AMAs and the transparency and also just like giving people like giving the DAO the option to have a, a voice. I really like the way they did things and something about them specifically is like they have such a incredible niche within the ecosystem in terms of like, you know, loaning and like, yeah, we, I guess you could debate on like whether or not loaning is uh, predatory or not, but I still think it has a proper function in any type of ecosystem. You know, it's like something that can't be ignored and Yacht kind of builds for Solana. So it's not like they're taking that money and running off chain. They're like taking that money and providing for their holders, which in turn provides for Solana. So yeah, I really like that project a lot. And that's just what I admire and love to see is genuine builders just funneling those profits back into of what they're creating and continuing to create. And you guys were talking about onboarding people from Web 2 to Web 3. I think the current sentiment of users here in the space, that sort of immaturity flippers mentality that we were talking about is very much deterring people from web two from jumping in and they honestly they see that and it's created a reputation for the space that is less than optimal a lot of people see that and think this whole space is a joke think this whole space is a scam which is so far from the truth but i think people are 
they've yet to really hone in on and see the long-term potential for the underlying technology of blockchain and NFTs. And once we start to make that super clear to people who haven't yet jumped into the space, that's, I think, when we're going to start to see some more adoption. But on a separate note, I think one of the challenges we also see in this space besides market immaturity is lack of transparency around payment and income and compensation, what you're expected to make in different roles like community manager, alpha hunter, moderator, et cetera. And so to combat this, we're looking to kind of make a repository of average income in the Web3 space for those different roles. And so I'd be interested to hear from you, Light, what is your typical rate and what have you kind of gotten paid in some of your previous roles, if you're willing to share? Yes. You know, I've worked for free, kind of like an internship before, but I had to kind of build myself up and build my resume and portfolio up. And I also do think it's super important to have like a resume. It just adds that layer of professionalism. But yeah, I started basically working for free, worked my way up to where I could start asking, you know, for specific things. And then eventually I just worked it out to where it's like a a fixed rate. So um, at the moment, it's really just $2,500 to $3,000 a month. And that comes with, you know, of course, all the services I provide, like marketing plans, and also just like doing the general marketing for a project. And anything above that, let's say they wanted me to be a team lead or something of that nature. At that point, I guess the price would be negotiable. Of course, a little higher. (laughs) But um, yeah, So that's my standard rate. As for if that would increase in the future, it's kind of hard to tell, but I think that's a pretty happy medium for me at the moment. So I know we touched on this a little bit already, but somewhat unrelated, not really unrelated. I'm just curious about your thoughts overall on the current NFT market and what the current trends could mean potentially for the Solana ecosystem long term. At the moment, I think it's super important to... It's not like the most popular opinion, but like it's very important to kind of stay away from like the degenerate stuff for now. Yeah, you can still make some money, but like you can probably lose it a lot faster than ever. We saw like great goats and uh, all these, you know, hyped projects kind of almost go under mint price. I think a lot of people need to kind of try to invest in projects that they actually genuinely believe in long term a year or two from now invest in the foxes or the the shadowy coders or you know even what you were talking about earlier things that you're more interested in because like the bear market i think we stay here for a while and it can only sometimes potentially get worse and if prices decline your nfts are going to lose value this is kind of how it works so um yeah i think in terms of like the overall market and the sentiment at the moment People are really just looking for leaders in the space that are trying to push things forward. Something I'm really bullish on at the moment, and it's probably one of the last things I'll mint for a while, is Duppies and what Frank is doing with them. I think that it's a really interesting thing that the team is not only using Dust only for their mint, but nobody on the team is actually even going to be paid. That's actually interesting. So like, From just like a completely selfless standpoint, they're not going to be taking any money out of the ecosystem. And I would rather put, you know, my money towards something like that, because essentially it just comes back to us, whether, you know, that be in the form of holder benefits or what have you. So 
yeah, that's really the only thing that I'm looking forward to at the moment. And of course, passive income plays if possible. So still looking towards Stepin if they can, you know, continue building, which they have been. Still looking at the overall outlook and I think it looks pretty decent actually. So like that. And last question for me, what do you think is underrated in this space? So not to talk about a project, but more so personality traits, ways you can choose your focus, ways you can potentially manage your emotions or even observation of your emotions. Where do you stand on that? Well, I guess to kind of like say first, I I do have to say one project that is underrated is Ghostface. I love Ghostface and I think they are also builders. But to answer the main question, I think honestly, taking time off is very underrated. Being able to just step away from whatever it might be, like your computer or your Web3 position or anything like that, just being able to step away from the computer for a little bit and go on a vacation or read a book or just simply like touch grass, you know, or hang out with friends and kind of just like come back down to earth because I feel like time moves so much faster in this space. I don't know if you guys feel the same, but like things are just insanely fast over here. You miss one day and it's it's like you've missed a week. And like, that's just not how things work in the real world. So spending time with like the people you love and kind of getting to just ground yourself and then coming back into the space with a fresh mindset. I think that's actually really super underrated. And another thing I think is really underrated is reading. There's some really smart people I've talked to, right? Intelligent, really, really smart people, vastly more intelligent than me. And then like, sometimes they'll be asking me questions and I'm like, dude, I I feel like an imposter right now. You know, it's it's usually just because I, I just read, you know, I just read things that like maybe people don't look into. I think that's like the biggest asset for anybody in the space is like having more information than the other person gives you a significant edge over them. Hmm. Can you double down on that? What are you reading? You mean like white papers, discord chats, or like medium articles, investing books? What are you really referring to here? Yeah, like white papers, medium articles, or sometimes even just being in the right place at the right time and really listening to like these AMAs. So community, for example, we could just use them real quick. My friend put me into contact with, I guess, the CRO of the company, which is Andrew. And he just kind of laid it all out for me, right? And like, I could have just taken that opportunity and been like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like, this guy's, I don't know who he is. This is like before Community 3 was like, even had a thousand followers, right? And so I just read through everything that he gave me. And I was like, holy, you know what I mean? I was like, I need to tell all my friends about this. And like, they thought I was crazy at first. And I was like, no, you have to mint this. You have to mint this. Like, trust me, it's going to blow up. And it did. And like, just having that kind of edge sometimes, like just knowing something is going to work out because you were like able to actually like read into what they were doing. It's almost like a superpower, you know, sometimes like being able to like, just have that at your arsenal. Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up such a good point when you were touching on the importance of reading and the whole imposter syndrome that you were kind of describing, because it just goes to show that you can become an expert in this space by simply teaching yourself. And it creates such an incredible opportunity 
for people to break into a new industry with no previous formal education on that industry. It's almost like redefining the concept of success and what it means to have a successful career and make money and create a livable income for yourself outside of the traditional socially acceptable routes. And I just love to see that. And that's what we're trying to show people. So I really think that point wrapped it up really well. I guess just to close it off, what is kind of the best piece of advice you would give somebody who is wanting to get started in the space? Like whether they're looking to find a side job, go full time, get into trading, like what would you kind of tell them? You know, I honestly really have to say like what you guys are doing is like exactly what I would recommend to people. And I think it's so amazing on so many levels because, you know, like one of the biggest barriers to entry when you're coming into Solana, for example, is like, what am I doing? And like, who do I talk to? Like, there's no tutorial. So essentially what you guys are doing is so powerful because you are like the tutorial before the video game. You know what I mean? Like you're like that first step and it's crazy. So uh, definitely what you're building, for example, like I've been recommending lots of my friends to. And going beyond that, I guess the advice I would give to people is to kind of surround yourself with the right people. There's people in this space that, you know, aren't here for the right reasons. And of course, there's lots of scammers and like rug pulls and people that like that kind of stuff. And you can kind of tell when people are only here for money. In general, yeah, like a lot of people are here for money. But like, I think it goes a little deeper than that when you're actually immersed in the space. So surrounding yourself with the right people and just using resources like what you guys are building and other things like that really helps. 100%. That's all the questions we had for you, Light. So thank you so much for joining us. This was a really great conversation and I enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more. You're extremely eloquent. I'm sure that comes from your um, experience in writing and just interest in writing. So it's been a pleasure hearing your perspective on the market and how we can all kind of become better users in this market to create a better, brighter future for Solana and Web3 as a whole. So thank you again. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. It's it a pleasure being here. Appreciate y'all. All right, guys, that is everything we had for you today. Make sure to follow Light on Twitter. That's at Litecoin Yagami, spelled L-I-T-E. If you'd like to keep up with us, we're at Web3ConnectX. And if there's anyone in particular you'd like to hear on the podcast, shoot us a DM and we'll try our best to get them on for you. But otherwise, we will see you next week.